I am a saved legalist who struggles with depression. That is a complicated title that I want to work through in this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive, the podcast where we put our articles in audio format so that you can listen to them. We started this ministry on July the 3rd. I started this ministry on July the 3rd. 2008 is almost well it's been 11 years now and when i started the ministry articles were the thing on the internet podcasting was new there weren't that many people doing it and reading was the thing but things have changed over the past 10 years and podcasting is now wildly popular among so many people because you can listen to excellent content while you are doing whatever it is that you are doing. It doesn't require the same attention as reading does. Now that can also be a liability, but I understand and I am glad that so many of you choose to listen to our podcast and that's why I have been over the past several years putting my podcast in audio format. I still have a long way to go. It's going to take a few more years to get every article on our website in an audio. Right now we have over 1,000 of them, so you can possibly listen to 500 hours of content. So that'll keep you busy while I'm doing the rest, and we'll do it one at a time. If you want to read this, then please go to our website, rickthomas.net. I am a saved legalist who struggles with depression. Typically, when people use the word legalist or legalism within the Christian framework, they're not talking about the technical definition of legalism. Legalism is meriting your meriting favor with God for salvation, meriting your way into heaven, earning your way into heaven. That's not what we're talking about when we typically, when we use the word legalism. The Pharisees were the legalists who were trying to work their way to heaven. The Pharisees were not regenerate people. They were not born again. Legalists in the Christian context generally are born-again people, and they truly understand that they are not working their way into heaven, but for whatever reason they find themselves in a performance-driven system, culture, worldview, behavior, way of living, and that's what I'm referring to here when I talk about legalism. And the way that I want to start this podcast is I want to ask you, a deeply rooted theological question that may not make any sense to you as far as what I'm talking about, but I hope by the end that it makes a lot of sense to you, and I I hope that it helps you, because here's the thing. However we live, however we think, is tied directly to our theology. And I'm using theology in the fullest expression of that word. Everybody has a theology. The atheist has a theology, the agnostic has a theology, the unbeliever has a theology, the Christian has a theology, the devil has a theology. We all have a view, a perspective, an opinion on God, and we live out according to that opinion, according to whatever that theology may be. And so all of our thinking and behaviors are rooted in our theology, whether we know it or not. So I want to ask you a deeply rooted theological question And then I want to give you a couple of 
case studies of two people who had messed up theology and how it led to so much despair in their life as they were trying to please God, hoping that he would change things for them. Again, the title of the article is, I am a saved legalist who struggles with depression. How you answer this question will impact the quality of your life on earth. Here's my deeply rooted theological question. Do you believe God sends people to hell? Or do you think hell is the result for people who reject God? Now here's an acceptable answer to my question. You could say that nobody chooses hell. But hell is the result for people who prefer an unrepentant path of sin. It's not that they are choosing hell, the destination. They're just choosing the path, and unwittingly, they, the end result of that path is hell. So they're choosing an unrepentant path. It's not the destination that they are choosing, but the path, albeit the path, leads to this undesired end called hell. It's like two roads that lead to different places. One way leads to paradise and the other leads to hell. Though we do not choose hell boastfully and objectively, we pick our paths. It is only because of the Lord who is rich in mercy are we able to change our paths. Now, why is this discussion meaningful? How can I connect this to common, everyday problems that people struggle with? Because how we interpret and respond to life flows out of our theology, as I have been saying. And if we have poor theology, our interpretations, our responses to life will be inferior to the life that we could have in Christ. If you believe God sends people to hell rather than people choosing a lifestyle that leads to hell, this wrong view of God will have immediate and negative consequences for how you respond to the things that happen to you. In fact, if you believe God sends people to hell rather than choosing a path that leads to hell, it is possible that you would be so afraid of him in the wrong kind of way that you'll try to please him, to keep him, not just from sending you to hell, but to keep him from doing any other bad thing to you. That's why I titled the podcast, I'm a saved legalist who struggles with depression because the two people that I want to present to you had this kind of theology. They believed that God sent people to hell rather than individuals choosing the path that leads to hell. And because they believed this, they always tried to appease God. They wanted to make him happy, hoping that he would not do bad things to them. Do you see how your theology can twist you up and send you to some bad places, not only in your thinking, but also in your behavior? My first case study here is Mabel. Mabel is a chronically sick person. No matter what she does, she cannot be better than a sick and suffering person. It's just the way she is. Now, that's the way a lot of people are. I have several friends who have 
at this juncture in their life, they are chronically sick and they will never be anything other than that. I realize that God can work a miracle, but as I look in the rearview mirror of their lives, I see a long path, decades long, of chronically, chronically sickness. And Mabel is like that, and no matter what she does, she cannot be any better than the sick and suffering that she has been experiencing. And though she has not given a lot of thought to her theology, it is precisely her theology that complicates the struggle that she has with her sickness. This is why when you're helping someone like this, someone in despair, someone in depression, someone with an issue that seems to be irreversible or unchanging, you want to make sure you counsel them from their theological positions, whatever that is. You want to understand their theology. And so as I talk with Babel, our discussions eventually turn to God, and that is where you want to turn. That is where you want to go to with a person like that. And that's where I learned that sweet Mabel was angry at the Lord. Now, these are my words, not hers. She would never say that. She's too Christianized to say that. She loves the Lord, if you ask her. And that is accurate to a degree. She does love the Lord. There's no question about that. But under the radar that rarely, rarely surfaces that people do not see. And Mabel even tells her friends that she loves the Lord. I mean, what is she supposed to say? I'm mad with God? Well, that's not acceptable Christian speak. Well, if you are mad with the Lord, you should be talking about that with someone, but not, not civil, polite, nice Mabel. In her view, it is better to stuff the uneasiness that she had with the Lord all these years underneath the covers of her heart. It did not take a lot of probing to realize there was something that agitated her about God. My first course of action was to release her from this fear of hiding her most authentic thoughts, which is a common trap for people. They say what they believe you want to hear. I illustrated this before about the young teenager who came in and asked her if God loved her. I said, why? She said, because he first loved me. And then I, I raised my voice and I said, stop that. Stop that. Stop giving me that Christian speak. She was just quoting scripture. She was giving me what she thought I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear the truth. I didn't, I didn't really care what the truth was as long as it was her truth. And Mabel was doing the same blooming thing. She was telling me what she thought I wanted to hear. She had learned to keep her innermost thoughts in the dark. One of those thoughts was her uneasy relationship with the Lord. She praised him with the lifted hand on Sunday morning, but she was afraid of him during the week. Her poor theology held her in bondage. Theology is a Greek compound word that means theos lagos. Theos, you probably can see the word God in that. Theos means God. Lagos means the study of or the word concerning and so the word theology is the study of God, or the word concerning God. And her research, her study and understanding of God was faulty in a surprising way. She believed the Lord sent people to hell. Her logic ran along these lines. Here's a sequ sequential stout that you could follow here in, in Mabel's theological logic. 
Hell is a place for bad people. That's thing number one. Number two, the Lord sends bad people to hell. The Lord sends bad people to hell. Number three, the Lord is okay with this outcome. We'll put okay in quotation marks. Thus, the Lord is okay with people suffering. These are logical conclusions. Number five, and this is where it turns for Mabel, I am suffering. Number six, the Lord is okay with me suffering. Number seven, well, because he sends bad people to hell, then obviously I'm a terrible person. And then number eight, the Lord does not like me. That's how her logic broke down. Now, she never saw that. This is where the counselor has to see more than what the person is presenting to them because she's stuck in this spiral of depression trying to please the Lord, afraid of the Lord, trying to appease the Lord, and you must see more than what she sees because she can't extricate herself from this trap. And if you can't see outside the box of Mabel's life, you won't be able to help her either. Mabel believed in God. She believed in heaven and hell. She knows that you're saved by grace, not by works. She can quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And she believes the Lord saved her. She's a genuine Christian. All these things are good. But what was running in the background of her theology was how she was one of the lucky ones who was saved from hell, but not one of the lucky ones who experienced healing on earth. The Lord is punishing her like he is punishing all the people that he sends to hell. It made sense to her. If God punishes a person in eternity, he will punish a person on earth. Mabel had received one blessing from the Lord, saved by grace, but not two. And for that, she was angry and also fearful. She was a saved by grace legalist. Now, this discussion is more than a slight theological misstep. It was Mabel's point of departure that fueled her decision-making. It's kind of like if you have two ships in a harbor in Charleston, South Carolina, and they're pointed just a couple of degrees differently. One will end up in Africa, and, one, and the other one will end up in Great Britain. This is more than a theological misstep. It was her point of departure. And it landed her in a place that, well, she shouldn't be. Her solution to this problem was if, if she did good things, maybe the Lord would change his mind about her. If she was not a terrible person, then he would change her suffering. If he sends people to heaven or hell, he may choose to help me by healing me. Mabel became a saved-by-grace legalist. She knew she didn't earn her spot in heaven, but Mabel wanted to do all she could not to mess up the possibility of winning the Lord's good smile for her earthly life. Therefore, she tried to do all the right things, which meant she strived to live a perfect life. Well, you can imagine how that went. She viewed life in a similar way in which Job did. You remember the early hours of Job? Job chapter 1, verse 5 specifically, he tried to be super good, even to the point of making sacrifices for his children, hoping to earn the Lord's good favor. The Lord, uh, I mean, Job was a saved by grace legalist. It says this in 1, 5, 
And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate his children, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, here it is, quote, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Mabel, in a sense, was a modern-day Job, a person who connected behavior to tragedy which was the downfall of Job and the major correction the Lord brought into his life as you begin, you read the beginning of that in Job 38. God saves us by his grace and we live by his grace. Our good works do not merit us anything in this life or the life to come. Mabel was not convinced because God did send people to hell. Even good people, according to her view, Mabel was in a high-stakes chess match with the Lord. She was doing all she could to make sure he did not, or she did not, earn his disfavor. This is her unspoken theology. Her unspoken theology was that good works equal good results. The bad news was that Mabel could not be perfect. She failed many times as sin took its periodic toll on her, which led her to despair and even more sinning. The cycle went this way. She could not be perfect, thus she failed. She was despondent over her failure, and then in the pits of her failure, she would just give up and binge sin. Then she would repent and try to be perfect again. She could not be perfect. She failed. She was despondent over her failure. She would give up and binge sin. She would repent and try to be perfect again. She could not be perfect, and the beat goes on. That was her cycle. It was an ongoing cycle that kept her in perpetual depression, a loop that her poor theology fed. Interestingly, it was just one tiny thread in her theological fabric. Here it is. The Lord sends people to hell. I have seen other tiny theological strands that have had a similar effect on people. Let me give you my second case study in this article, podcast. Again, if you want to read this, if you want to take it a little more slowly, you're welcome to do that. It's titled, I Am a Saved legalist who struggles with depression and you are welcome to read this slow it down at your pace study the scriptures that are here and as always ask your questions on our free community forums brought to you by those who underwrite our ministry here's another case study this one's marge the most common theological breakdown I've seen in people's lives, or one of the most common ones, is how an individual's experience with their earthly father has determined their view of God the Father. Marge, she's my illustration here, she was reared by a distant dad who only spoke when it was time to yell or slap the children and because of their inconvenient mischievousness. I'm not sure if there's such a thing as convenient mischievousness. Whenever our children have sinned, it's always at the most inconvenient time. After Marge became a Christian in her early 20s, her dad had etched on her mind what a father is like in practice. 
While everybody was celebrating her new faith, there was a dark storyline that laced and entangled her thinking. She was one of those saved-by-grace Christian legalists. If you ask her if she merited, meaning if she worked for her salvation, she would give you the right theological answer. There is a difference between a person's knowledge of theology and their practical theology. And what you want to do as a disciple maker is you want to try to discern the gap between what they know and how they practice. Marge spiraled in and out of depression because she was not sure of the Lord's good thoughts and intentions toward her. She was like Mabel. Different story, but the same song. For Mabel, here's her song. If God will send people to hell, why wouldn't he allow bad things to happen to me? Can you see how the paranoia can seep into Mabel's life and escalate even to the point of tempting her to want to please God by her performance? Marge, her song went like this. If my earthly father was mean as a snake, why wouldn't God the Father also be mean? These are logical arguments that make sense. And if left unchallenged, this small theological tributary will roll into a large river that will flood a person's life. You must do two essential things to get to the hearts of people like Mabel and Marge. The first one is you want to observe their lives. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. For some reason, the grace of God was not working for Mabel and Marge. The Lord gives a stabilizing power that makes his children even killed. They were not living according to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10:13. They were not enduring it. They were not accessing the grace of God. They were not experiencing the faithfulness of God to give them an even-killed life. When our lives are more cyclic than linear, there is something wrong with our theology, and that is your first clue. And that's why I say what you want to do in order to help them. Thing number one is you want to observe their lives. Are they moving down a linear path, growing and maturing? Not perfectly. Or are they cyclic? The Lord gives us a way of escape the temptations that can so easily ensnare us. But if we're not regularly avoiding, but consistently falling into snares, the first place to look is our theology. There is something wrong with how we think about and respond to God. And I realize for some people that this podcast can be overly complicated because I am tying behavior to theology. It's hard for some Christians to think this way and they don't see the connection or maybe they'll give a cursory nod to the connection that theology creates behavior, but they do not know how to delve into theology and so they just want a book. Just give me a book and they want to do something behaviorally to change. 
behavioral change is not sustainable change. You want true heart change, and that's why you need to get into a person's theology. So the first thing to help them is to observe their lives. Is it linear or is it cyclic? And then the second thing is observe their theology. Now you're going from behavior and you're drilling down into their theology. James said it this way in chapter 1, 5 through 8. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. Do you see how Marge and Mabel couldn't ask in faith? They didn't believe God at a central core of their theology. They couldn't go to him and ask in faith. As James says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. They had this undercurrent of doubt in their life. One based on this theological thread that God sends people to hell. And another theological thread is that I am mapping my experience of my father over God the Father. If you won't help, ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Do you see the cyclic behavior here? For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And that's that's how you can see the two-headedness of Marge and Mabel. Mabel truly does love the Lord, and so does Marge. But there's this other head, this other mind, this double-minded person that is active and real, and you want to help them. Our lives reveal our souls, who we are deep down. If you are observing unstable behavior, look deeper. What you're going to find are theological entanglements. James said the unstable person lacks wisdom from the Lord. This truth created a problem for Mabel and Marge. They were not able to run to God and jump into his lap because they were afraid of him. The person they needed to go toward to untangle their theology so they could restore their relationship with him was the person they feared engaging. Mabel believed the Lord sends people to hell, so she walked around on eggshells, always hoping to please him, but still failing Thus she lived in perpetual discouragement or depression. Marge believed the Lord was temperamental and angry, so any false step from her would incur his wrath. She, like Mabel, failed many times, thus she lived under a cloud of his perpetual displeasure. Both of them were believers who did not believe the Lord. I call this the unbelieving believer tension in the soul. Truly born again, but not practically living like believers. The gospel is always counterintuitive to our thinking, which is why it does not come to mind as quick as or the way that it should. This puzzle was a problem. This gospel puzzle was a problem for Mabel and Marge. They were using logic, but not gospel logic. The gospel, at least at first glance and without a biblical filter, is not logical. But with the gospel in view, they could see how the path to freedom begins with a painful acknowledgement. For Mabel, the response is that God does not send people to hell, but people choose hell by rejecting him. And the Lord in his mercy is rescuing sinner after sinner by picking them off the path to destruction. It is us who chooses It is him who rescues. God is a rescuing God, not a punishing God. 
This worldview is also the same for Marge. Her dad was her version of hell that she was living, but God chose to pick her out of her destruction and give her a new father, a loving one. Here's the hard part of what they must acknowledge and accept. You see, both of them deserved hell. And if it were not for the saving, loving, merciful, and interrupting grace of God, they would have never experienced a divine rescue. It is when we think we deserve better than what we are experiencing that our souls dip to depressing places. And that kind of thinking is a deeply rooted theological problem that each of us needs to rethink. Mabel and Marge need to find a community that is willing and able to come alongside them to begin the theological untangling of their souls. Step one for them is to rethink the gospel and how it applies to them. They need to untangle the poor theology. Step number two, they cannot do this alone. They need to find a caring community that will help them. Step number three, they need to make Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, their song. Psalm 40 says this, 1 through 3, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, the path that I chose to be on, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Step number three, they need to make Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, their song. And then step number four, they need to commit to and trust this process. If you need some help untangling your poor theology, we would love to serve you. Come to our website, rickthomas.net. Read this article. Think it through. I am a saved legalist who struggles with depression. How has the legalistic lifestyle captured you? Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.